that go into meditation? Do you remember what were the components? Relax. Okay. The present moment. Be in the present moment. Sublimeness. Sublimeness. Good. You don't remember? All right. Uh, you weren't around, so I'll give you a pass on it. But all right. We uh, we had relax. Very important that we have to be relaxed. Um, to to be in the present moment is very very important uh, in terms of what we're doing. To not think, to think of not thinking, and uh, we hold our method, we're very, very relaxed, um, and the idea of sublimement, of being very, very serene, very calm in, in this moment, so that we're not putting extra pressure on our body or our mind. When we're not serene or sublime, then we're starting to stress out. Once we start stressing out, it manifests in the body itself, so that the body will begin to complain. And then we we're, are more likely to be off our method because of body discomfort. Um, the idea of staying in the present moment is to remember that we have our, our method so that we stay on the method. All of these are, are parts that either go with, with uh, relaxing the body and relaxing the mind, making the practice very smooth and effortless. When the practice is not in this way, then it's less likely to make any kind of headway or improvement because it's constantly fighting the nature of mind itself. The nature of mind dictates that as you sit there, extraneous thoughts and images, impressions, will arise in the mind. They will arise due to uh, the habitual energy that was there from before that produce these thoughts. And when these thoughts are are presented in the mind, what happens is, is that the, the mind then begins to produce thoughts from those thoughts. It is what the classical masters say to cease producing thoughts. Um, so the extermination of production of thoughts is essential. When we are walking in Chan, talking in Chan, whatever we're doing, we nevertheless have thoughts. That is okay, because those thoughts are necessary for us to function, of thinking, of putting the left foot in front of the right foot, so that we walk. But it, it doesn't necessarily mean that as we're putting the left foot in front of the right foot, that we should be thinking about work or we should be thinking about something else because that actually impedes in our ability to walk properly. And so then we end up um, hitting things, tripping over things, 
um, missing where we were supposed to turn because we're no longer engaged in the function that we were doing. Likewise, when we sit to meditate, when we don't um, meditate in a proper way, we're no longer really meditating and we're impinging on our ability to accomplish the most that we can out of meditation because of the fact that we're spending useless mind energy in things that have nothing to do with what, whatever our function is at that time. So when we're sitting there and we're trying to expel thoughts from the mind or we're chasing thoughts, we're using uh, an allocation of precious mind resource to be engaged in an activity that doesn't have any benefit at that moment. Why do we do this is because of our ignorance that we feel that that is us thinking and that because we accept this then we run what we believe to be is a default program in in our in our computer which is the self what we don't recognize is that this what we call the default computer which has an opinion about everything is actually a virus that virus is that which uh, doesn't enable us to see clearly what is happening moment to moment doesn't allow us to function in the proper way but because we've been using this program for so long we have begun to believe that this virus is actually the operating system which it is not and it becomes very very difficult because this virus is constantly creating a distrust in what we're doing so that we cannot really see things clearly we cannot see how how the mind works so we lost that and we trust only in the self this viral program that has an opinion about everything and generally tends to make some pretty grievous mistakes in life when we begin to meditate in a proper way this virile program is exposed and the mind is seen clearly and it is devoid of the self the self is not there anymore the function of the meditation is to assist in the eradication of false notions it assists by enabling one to quiet the mind so that one can investigate mind in the investigation of mind one sees clearly that self the illusory self is non-existent it too is a phantasm a dream an illusion that when the mind is allowed to function properly at its proper rate of calculation rather than being slowed down by the virus it is able to see not just the arising of thoughts in the mind which when the mind is diluted appear or seem to appear 
in the sky of the mind um, with no no traces of where it came from once one uses a meditation method those thoughts are seen at their roots where they come from and the difference is is that uh, I'll use an analogy from something that I saw last night which was that uh, uh, Mike and Jenny had me over to their house and we were by a lake and we were watching fireworks and if you looked at the fireworks you would you would see that they were exploding in the sky and somebody who never saw fireworks before would say this is most unusual that the sky is exploding it's a kind of a logical thing if no, no one ever saw fireworks before they'd say the sky's exploding these these fireworks come from the sky these fireworks are the sky how does the sky go it explodes with all these colors dazzling colors all over the place but as you watch the fireworks and listen and and are very careful one can see little traces of of streamers of of the the propellant shooting the firework into the sky and then the explosion and one realizes ah i see it going up therefore i know there's going to be an explosion in the sky i've already seen it going up and lo and behold then there's an explosion in the sky later on one hears thump and even before we see this going up, the tracer of the firework going up in the sky, we hear the thump of it. Um, and we know through discernment that we will soon see a trace and then we will see an explosion in the sky later on. The practice of Chan enables us to hear that thump first it enables us to be clear that the explosions that were in the sky do not come from the sky. And the tracers, that we know that there was going to be this explosion in the sky. And from the sound, we know from the source of where that thought or that, that appearance in the sky comes from. We know that it's all connected, that it's mine and it's appearing in mine. We do not take the firework, which is a transitory dazzling experience, to be the permanency of the of of the sky, because they're constantly changing. And so we're clear about that. We also clear that the sky does not interfere with the appearance of the fireworks. It allows them to appear, no matter how dazzling they are, or, or how harmful they could be if they weren't fireworks, but they were military ordnance uh, shells, that 
it doesn't interfere and say, oh, you cannot go because you're destructive or you can go because you're very dazzling. Whatever appears in the sky appears in the sky. It doesn't interfere with it at all. It is this that we get from meditation. When we begin to try to smooth out the sky, calm the sky, try to make the appearances of the fireworks not appear in the sky, it's useless. If we really wanted to do that, we'd have to go to the root. We'd have to go to where the fireworks are set off and understand how they're set off and and be, begin there by by disabling the mechanism in which they appear in the sky. Chan is this way. What Chan does is search for the source of this illusory self. And as it searches for the source of this illusory self, when it finds it, it then sees clearly that it too is an illusion, that which is the trace that's going up. And it begins to, by seeing clearly, remove that source. So that one can eradicate false notions. It is not necessary to eradicate the appearances in the sky. Those appearances appear from causes and conditions, from what is happening in on the ground in the mind ground as well when we practice Chan that these appearances uh, are governed by what what is being put in the tubes and being shot up and that's probably a pretty good way of showing how mind and consciousness works when we do not practice in a proper way the consciousness appears and we begin to believe that it controls the sky that that it is the sky but as we begin to practice meditation we realize those appearances aren't really mine they appear in mine like flowers in the sky what some people call fireworks but they're transitory constantly changing and as they're constantly changing, we realize they don't have an inherent nature. This is Chan in its simplest way. But for some reason, we don't see it this way. For some reason, we don't practice in this way. And as a result, we're constantly trying to control the appearances in the sky via an appearance in the sky, which is not possible. It won't work that way. But if we understand from where they come, then we can accord our actions, body, speech, and mind, in a manner in which we'll adjust the appearances in the sky in a proper way. Not only that, but it will return our attention to mind itself and that these adjustments come from mind they do not come from consciousness so when we're meditating as we meditate 
and and images arise in the mind, we we let them go. We know that they're where they're appearing, and we know that they will disappear. Why? Because they're temporary appearances, just like a firework. No matter how much I tried to hold on to the idea of the beautiful lights that were flashing in the sky yesterday, they're transitory. They would disappear. And they would be dazzling, very, very beautiful. And you'd want to hold on to them because the mind says, oh, it's so beautiful. But you couldn't. They, they just disappear. And we cannot say that those dazzling lights were our mind. They occur in mind, but those lights are not the sky. They're not the ground. The lights, the sky, the ground, they all are mine, all interwoven in a pattern in accordance with causes and conditions. The causes and conditions that brought me here to teach enable me to see those fireworks. When we're clear about things and we understand how to meditate, if we do not see in this way, our meditation will not produce the, the fruits that we are seeking. They will be um, the uh, trying to polish what appears in the sky, which is useless because it's transitory, constantly changing. So if we really want to do work with meditation, what we do is we work with uh, uh, mind itself. This is what we understand. This is the teachings of the ancients. From the time of Shakyamuni Buddha on, it's been the teachings that we look at things. We look for what is inherently there and, and see things clearly. So when we meditate, we're aware of what's arising. We let it go. More importantly, we want to know from where these thoughts come from, why they arise in the mind. So as we study, we understand that these thoughts arise in the mind due to the fact that we've put them there through our experiences. Thoughts arise in the mind, by and large, for repetitive thought, uh, that maybe you want something, I want, I want, I want, I want. Uh, or I don't want, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. Or something that was recent, something that happened at, at breakfast time that now comes to mind, or conversation, or an argument, or a pleasurable experience. Those things will come up because they're recent. And um, if it's a very emotional issue, yesterday you got socked in the jaw, um, by somebody, I would venture to guess that you would remember it today. And it would keep coming up in your mind. Why did I get sucked in the jaw? Why did I have to get hit? You'd remember it because it's a very emotional thing. Or you ran into Prince Charming or Princess Charming, whatever, and you would remember that too. And you would be floating on the clouds, just thinking and thinking and thinking. All of these things are very, very natural. So when you think in this way, 
then you whatever appears in the mind doesn't appear in a manner which should frustrate you. Quite to the contrary, rather than frustrating you, what it would do is it should certify what your teaching is is is. Is that what what you're listening to and then you're there and saying, that's right. That's exactly appearing exactly in accordance with causes and conditions. It's very, very clear that this happened this way and this is appearing because that's what I put into it. It was recent or emotional or repetitive and it's going to come up in mind. So one doesn't get frustrated by that. And then we understand that if we give it no extra energy, if we allow it to arise in the mind naturally, which it's going to do whether we try to stop it or we don't stop it, then it will just pass because we're not giving it the mind's attention. And it serves as our practice. It wonderfully serves as our practice because as these things are arising in mind and we don't pay attention to them, something very interesting happens. Mind expands. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Incredibly, incredibly wonderful. That first you just see these things coming up like fireworks in the mind. Boom, 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 boom. And then, and then the mind expands further and further and further. And these things begin to be reflected on mind itself. We are aware of their rising, but we don't turn our eye towards them. And by not turning our eye towards them, all of these things are rising and falling, arising and falling. But the mind is capable of being aware of all of them. It's capable of being aware of when notions of self arise. And the mind is illuminated to that. That's a wonderful part. It's illuminated to be able to see when even notions of self, which don't have a form, don't have a color, don't have a smell, or begin to arise in mind, and it just simply lets it go. It does not claim it or allow this illusory notion of self to say, I claim this mind on behalf of my own selfish interests. You go, what's that? Oh. And then it goes away. I claim my mind. No. I claim, no. Claim, no. No. And it's gone. Because you're not giving it anything. You're not giving it. But if you say, my this, my that, my whatever, whether you say it or I say it, we suffer. We cling to it. And then the self comes bull rushing in and takes over the mind. And we're so weak. Take over, go ahead, take over. I'm tired anyway, my legs hurt. I don't want to practice anymore. Go ahead. Do with what you will with me. And it does. The self goes, get up. This is boring. Come on, get us go. You know, uh, what's on TV? 
No. Wouldn't you rather, like, clean out your sock drawer or do something? There's all these things that's coming in to try to, to get you to, to do something. They're all illusory. I was telling Jenny something very funny this morning that I was, um, right, I, I was having a dream, a very strange dream this morning where I was, I had to go through this toll booth and I had to pay money to get onto this freeway, but I, but for some reason it wasn't like where you normally go there and you drop your coins. I had to go into the office. And so when I was in the office, a person that was there was this big guy with a, with a uniform on and a white patch here and stuff. I could see him very clearly still. And, and, and he was there and, and I gave him my information and he had on his notepad my name. And I went, this is not good. And then he starts charging up on the cash register and it, it goes, it goes, and I'm going like, and he's like, smiling. I'm going, this is not funny. This is costing me a lot of money. There's all these charges that are coming up. Why are you charging me so much? You know, I'm just trying to get through. You know, is your name Gilbert Gutierrez? Yes. Oh, and and your son drive this type of car? Yeah. Oh, you know, and I'm going like, uh-oh, what happened now? And and meanwhile, in the back, it's cha-cha-cha-cha-cha, you know, and the, the, the cash register is adding more and more to it until I realized that it was my alarm and I hadn't set it on a tone. It was just going, eh, 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 eh. But to me, I thought it was real. I thought it was something real. It was very, very clear to me. But it was just my mind trying to trick me to say, hey, you need to get up right now, you know, and, and I'm going to scare you into, in, into waking up. <laughs> Which it, it did, you know. And so it's very odd. But in that moment, I thought it was real. It's very strange because I, I rarely dream. So this was very funny that I have a dream like this. And and so so it's the way it is with, with the mind and how we see things. We, we really take a lot of the images in the mind as real. The, the impressions to be real. And... And it colors the way that we perceive things. We no longer are able to see things in a clear way. But we believe that they're, they're there. We believe it's real. And because we, we keep thinking this is real, is it real? And then the, what does the illusory self say? Yeah, it's real. It's real. And um, it can happen that way. Where you, where you say, is this real or not? When I was younger, um, I was engaged in doing a lot of things uh, with with Qigong and, and running into different situations that were in, in a regular life, but appeared to be very strange. And I remember my spouse at the time would always ask me, "Is this real?" And I'd say, "It, it's real." and not real and you you look at it in this way because in on one sense it's real but it's not real on another and it's the not real part that enables it the real part to to appear as real 
but it's the not real part to, that enables it to keep changing and, and to produce different forms which sometimes the individual self is unable to calculate because the individual self wants this to be real. And as we look at things, it's not really real as we begin to see things, whether we see it from the physics viewpoint as we start going into it, we could actually penetrate this wood. Is that possible? If we we're small enough, right? We just have to just get out of the way of this electron and that electron, don't let that atom hit you or whatever, and you'd be able to go into and penetrate the wood. Now you'd have to be very small to do that, or this be very big. But Chan enables one to alter the idea of what is reality. Not in a bad way, but in a good way, so that we can see things very clearly. We can see that it all belongs to mind. And in doing this, what it does is it enables us to, to, to take an inventory of what's there in our life. And, and what's not there. Is wisdom there? Is passion there, emotion, um, no, are, the, are different things there that, that we're putting in that aren't necessary in our life, such as the self? And imagine if you can pull the self out of situations that you've been in in the past, how would you react to them? And that's generally what they call 2020 hindsight. You know, no, I shouldn't have called uh, my teacher a stupid fat pig. You know, that may be why I got an F in the class. You know, I, so you want to go back to sixth grade to say, I, I take that back. Why'd you call her that? Because I felt like it. She made me mad. Do you have situations like that? I'm sure you probably never call your teacher that, especially the Chinese. They, they would have been decapitated by their parents. But, but in any case, there's things that we do in our life we really wish we could pull it back, right? And when that happened, it's because of ourself. Because ourself wanted to do it. We had that little devil on our shoulder going, do it, do it, do it. And the angel's going, I'm out of here. I'm, you know, he gets kicked off the shoulder by the, by the devil. But that's the way we are. And we think that that's us. We think that's our operating system, but it isn't. It's just the illusory nature of the mind, some kind of a, of a warped sense of protection that, that has been built in as this defense mechanism, not of the body, but of the ego. And it causes us all sorts of suffering including myself. If I attach to this, I attach to that. You know, I attach to what people say, I suffer. If I let it go, I don't have to suffer from that. Why? Because we become so habituated that we don't see that. But when we sit on the cushion to meditate, it gives us an opportunity to utilize the Dharma, the training that we've received, to put it into practice to be able to illuminate the mind, to see what's arising within it. That's all meditation is. 
if you think meditation by itself is going to bring you into a state of wonderful tranquility, it can do that. But when you get up, it'll be the same miserable place because you haven't really penetrated deep. You've just anesthetized yourself. So a lot of times um, when people come to me and they're beginning practitioners, um, sometimes I feel like they look at me like a doctor feel good or a priest. A doctor feel good that I could just drop a pill, a happy pill in them. And you drop the happy pill, oh, it feels so much better. I'm really, really good. And they feel really good until somebody calls them a jerk. And then they're miserable again. Or like a priest that can absolve them of all their sins. And I drop this little wafer in their mouth and then they're purified until they sin again, then they have to come back next Sunday and to, uh, and I drop the little wafer in their mouth again. And then don't forget to put the money in the basket. It's not that way. If it was, it would be very easy. I would be very rich. People would be lined up. I could be giving them happy pills all day long. You'd probably get a person saying, no, I already gave you a happy pill, but I want to be happier. It doesn't work that way. You have to put what I'm talking about into practice. You have to, to make it yours and, and work it. Chan is investigation. The word itself is practice. So you have to practice. You have to take what I say and then say okay now I am armed like you want to go and to 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 go into to battle you have to have the proper equipment even the Bible said that you know the this is my shield this is my sword this is that so it's nothing new in terms of saying that once I one of my students said, how come you, you talk about it in like a war? It's so, so martial. No, you, you're so negative. I said, okay, I won't talk about it as a war, but you're going to the North Pole. What are you going to take with you? No. About the only thing you can't use on the North Pole is a compass. That's kind of like a little joke, but it's all right. Because the compass go like that. But in any case... You would take a jacket, boots, food, something to keep you warm, um, light, whatever, tent. You'd be equipped. When you sit to meditate, you take your practice with you. You take what has been taught. But it's a little bit different. Probably the analogy would be better like an athlete that's preparing for a contest and 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 preparing for it mentally, visually, exercise, so that everything is all there. Yet, when the good athletes, when, let's say it's a track athlete, when the gun goes off, they have no thought. But yet, all the training is there. It's all already there. They, they know it inherently run in this way. No, jump, or whatever they're doing, breathe, relax. All of it's all 
there. But it has to be there. So if you come and you sit on the cushion, somebody tells you to cross your legs, you know, it would be like you joining the Olympics without any training. You're going to be coming in last all the time. But if you're trained, you have a chance. If you're trained, it's a stand-up fight with the self. When you're not trained, the self will win every single time. Why? Because it, you're ignorant. You're, that ignorance is going to be the self saying, I am sitting meditating. Who, who brought you into the picture? You weren't even invited. You're the person I want to get rid of. No, you can't get rid of me. You need me. No. If I'm the one talking, then who are you? So, as you begin to look at things, you see things clearly. You see from where the, all of these thoughts, appearances arise. And you understand that mind is capable of being aware of things without the necessity of the self. And we understand that the self, it too is an appearance within mind. And when we look, just like the analogy I was talking about fireworks, that we know that our search is not in the sky. If we want to find out the source of the self, we have to go to the to the tube and where the firework was set off, to its root. That's what meditation does, is enables you to settle the mind so that one can see the tubes that are firing off notions of self. And then at that point, we don't claim that to be mind anymore. We claim it to be part of consciousness that just arising and falling, rising and falling. In this way, the mind is clarified. That is illumination. Don't look for illumination as anything but that. It's the illumination of the mind. What is arising in the mind? And as we begin to practice, mind begins to expand. It's no longer just the illumination of my mind. It's the illumination of mine. And as one begins to harmonize with people, then they begin to get an, a sense of what is arising in other people's minds. That would be pretty beneficial, right? If, you, if you're quiet enough to be able to begin to sense what's arising in other people's minds. Not bad. Because it enables you to to harmonize with them, to know what to say in that moment. You don't have to become a mind reader. You have you just become an environmental reader of what's happening, knowing what's happening in a given moment. Yesterday I talked about, are you aware of your face right now? Not my face, but your face. How do you look? What are you doing? Are you aware of that? Are you aware from moment to moment what you look like? Sometimes it's kind of scary. No, because you may be in a, in a position where you're listening to somebody. 
and you're that way. And you, sometimes when I'm giving a lecture, I, I was telling Mike the other day, there was one young man that came in and all he wanted to do was debate me. So as I'm, I'm giving the lecture, he's there. I can read his mind. I know exactly what he wants to do, what he wants to say. And it's habitual energy he wanted to, to fight with me. He was a Taoist practitioner, so when I was talking about removal of the self, it really made him uncomfortable. And so, so he wanted to debate with me about these things, but it really wasn't the time and place to, to do a Taoist-Buddhist comparison. Besides, I would confuse him to no end, and which is eventually what happened. Um, but you you see the situations as they're coming up, so you have a little bit of lead time in terms of how to harmonize in a particular situation. Not bad, not bad. It's they're free for the asking. All you got to do is not cling to appearances, and all of the appearances are perfectly there, they're perfectly in their place, and mind, not self, mind is aware of them and knows exactly what everybody's doing, whether somebody's tapping their foot, looking around, doing whatever, tapping their hands, listening. All of those things are happening at the same time, but they don't interfere with this mouth going up and down. Not bad. How can you do that? How can you juggle so many balls in this in the sky and do it by not having self, by calming the mind, it gets into the state of what they call upika. Upika is a state of equanimity. In a state of equanimity, it is aware of everything that's happening, everything that's, that's occurring in a particular moment and putting into that moment what needs to be there. Now it's still subject to, to uh, mistakes because wisdom is something that's ever growing. It's not static. But when used in the proper way, the wisdom can produce this wonderful compassion, Mahakaruna, this highest compassion to be able to harmonize with everyone. Without this, this uh, wisdom manifesting that Maha Karuna cannot manifest. One can still have compassion, but not this really wonderful, wonderful compassion that doesn't distinguish and say, I give it to you, but I don't give it to you. I give it to you because you're new. You, I'll give it to you, to you. Yeah, all right, you, you, not you, I don't know. Maybe. You know, it doesn't distinguish in that way. It, it just simply just gives. It's a wonderful, wonderful way. All of that comes from the practice. All of that comes from resting in mind itself. And as one rests in mind, we give the ego a rest. We set the ego to the side. Think back on things that have happened in your life where you've made a mistake and if you were on CSI, you would be able to look and go, uh-huh, there's ego right there. And there's ego right there, and ego, and ego, and ego. And you'd be able to say, who did it? Ego did it. Most likely, the things that happen where you've made some big mistakes has been ego there. 
Is that not right? Yes, sir. I mean, so this is not something... Chan is very, very simple. It's very simple. I may use some fancy Sanskrit words every once in a while, but today what I wanted to do is just really simplify it. Not dumb it down, but simplify it. And, and what's the beauty of Chan is its simplification of, of things. And that's what attracted it to me because before that time period, I was studying mind and studying with the, all these different masters of Qigong and we were doing all sorts of different things. And then I heard Master Shen Yang talk about everyday mundane things. And I'm going, wow, that's... I never thought about it that way. It's so clear, so simple. It doesn't take extra explanation. If one just simply opens to it, to, to see it in this way and, and then begin to, to determine what are we doing? We are investigating mind. All of the masters from the ancients on all tell us we investigate mind, not consciousness, mind. That's where our search is at. So when we're sitting on the cushion, we rest in mind. If we rest in mind, mind will reveal itself, begin to reveal how it works. That's our second classroom, mind itself. So this is how we approach it, how we approach our cushion, and, and what we're doing when we sit on the cushion. For those of you who are new to the practice, you have a, a good fortune, a good affinity, to hear this today. Um, those of you who have practiced for a long time know that it's not often that you hear the Dharma approached in this way. So when you hear this in this way, you make that investigation yours. Okay, any questions? No questions. Okay, we'll take a break.